Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the uh, next edition of the Giro podcast. I hope you guys are all well, wherever you are. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode. I'm sat here with the lovely Matt Stevens. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Yeah. What, what are you? Uh, what are you drinking there? Well, yeah. I think we better tell the tell the listeners that if there's a bit of clattering, <laughs> I, I have a really nice piece of slate, well presented piece of slate, uh, a knife. It's not a actually rough, slate. It's a roof tile. It? It's a as, roof tile. As some of our uh, blimey. As some of our customers call them. Right. It's it's a roof tile with a with a half eaten pan of chocolate on oh, it and beautiful. a very nice flat white. So, for the first part, for first five minutes, you might hear me kind of chewing, but don't don't worry. That Excellent. will subside. But yeah, thank you. Excellent. Um, well, Matt, look, uh, genuinely, thank you very much for coming in today. I know you're a very busy man, so I appreciate you giving up some no of your time. Uh, I've been wanting to do this with you for a while, really. Um, you know, I've said to you, you know, in the past, I'm a big fan of what you do. Um, I'm also a really big fan of cycling and have been for many years. So I know your Palmares pretty well. And um, yeah, I feel, you know, honoured to kind of be sat talking to you. Yeah, that's very um, kind. And, I piled, you know, I piled across a fair few times. Yeah, of course. Primarily yeah. in the CAF. Yeah, primarily in the CAF. Been here to yeah, do yeah. a fair bit of shooting over the years. And yeah. now, obviously, I'm pretty local, which is handy yeah. as well. So yeah. 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 No, so many of, you know, the kind of listeners will know you from your recent exploits with Eurosport yep, and, man. you know, sort of commentating. Um but obviously, as you know, cycling's in the UK a fairly young sport, really, uh, in regards to sort of the, the mass appeal of it. Yeah. You know, I, I would venture to say not a huge amount of people know your kind of caliber as a professional rider back in the day, or maybe don't, you know, don't sort of understand the significance of it, perhaps. Um, and I just wanted to sort of talk through that a bit more. I hope that's, I hope that's a fair comment. Yeah, you were t speaking just before we came on air, and I think it's worth mentioning, you know, uh, a friend of mine lives just down the road from me, and a, a bit of a legend, Chris mm, Liddywhite, yeah. who was saying that he's yeah. a local now, has yeah. been for a long time. Comes in every weekend, yeah. Yeah, and and for me, and for people like Brad Wiggins, mm. um, Chris Liddywhite is a hero. Absolutely. You know, and, and a legend. But, you know, I'm a, Chris is a little bit older than me, mm. um, but his profile is kind of now... A lot of people don't know who he is. Like you said, he comes yeah. in quite anonymously, but when you look at how important a figure he was back in the in the late 80s, yeah. and all the way through the kind of uh, the 90s, really, kind of well, three quarters way through the 90s. I, I raced, you know, in the same team at one point with Chris as well, and for, and for GB, yeah. and then most of the time we were crossing swords in Premier calendars and yeah. internationally. Um, but yeah, he, it just shows he was a, a, a big deal. Yeah, um, absolutely. And if that time had been now, yeah. you'd know he'd be all over the place. Yeah, yeah. He'd be doing, he'd be doing this, and he'd be doing, you know, he'd be probably co-commentating on Eurosport in a Cockney accent or yeah. something. But yeah, so it's a good question, and, th and things of people often ask me um, a sim similar kind of questions, like how's how things changed, and they've changed dramatically. Yeah. Um, even in the last five to ten years. Um, yeah. And I think oh. when I was. When I was in the police, uh, and I obviously had this ten, 10 years as a police officer for 12 years, yes. which I think most people know about now. Um, even then, so let's, let's say before we go back to the 90s, like 2007 or something, mm. um, when the scene, the British scene, if we mm. can focus on that, was just ticking along. Yeah. But it was just, there was a lot more momentum. You, you had, you know, multiple Olympic successes. Yeah. Um, at that point, 2007 hadn't really there was no big massive success on the road on the road yeah uh, but it was it was about to happen it was in its kind of nascent stages a young Mark Cavendish Brad was already a pro anyway um, Geraint and those were all young riders you know applying their trade abroad but um, but for me then to think back it's like to think I couldn't have even dreamed of what, that then that I'd yeah. be doing what I'm doing now yeah it's changed dramatically and then 
if you rewind to the 90s, there's no way on earth I ever thought I'd be yeah, doing this. I, I didn't know what I'd be doing, to be yeah. perfectly honest with you, because when you're younger and you've got an ambition and a drive to do one thing, that consumes you, doesn't it? And for me, it was to be a professional cyclist. Um, so I didn't really think further ahead. My dad, my dad was a police officer, but I'd know it's weird that I ended up as one actually, and, it, and we'll get onto it in a minute, but the reason I joined the police was because of the way that my career went. It was just like, oh, what options do you have? And that's what I did. But it's, it's changed beyond recognition. Well, uh, let's, let's unpack that a bit, because I, I think that's, that's the, the, the story that I just find so fascinating, because, you know, um, I think now if, you know, if, if a young person chooses to say, I want to be a cyclist as a career, it doesn't seem to a distant reality. You know, you can understand the kind of the route to do that. And, you know, now, especially in Surrey, which is a cycling hotspot in the UK, mm. there's local leagues, there's local teams and that kind of avenue to, through to being a professional, making a, you know, an, an OK career is realistic and achievable. And, you know, it's, you know, at the pinnacle of that, you see riders such as, I mean, we've mentioned Brad, but Geraint Thomas, Chris Froome, who are making very substantial careers out of it. Mm. Um, and they are, you know, let, let's face it, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. You know, it, they didn't have the resources that are available now to young people. Um, and I'd love to kind of hear from you around that time when you were a youngster saying, I want to yeah. be a pro cyclist. Like, yeah. What did that look like? How did you get into cycling first and foremost? And then how did you, you know, get racing and going, well, hang on a minute. I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this. What's the next step? It, it's funny, you know, when you look at the way, I mean, I'm, I've just turned 50 and when you look at, your life and you think back, uh, I don't know how other people visualize time and years, but you know, for example, I visualize a week like a suspension bridge. So the weekend is the big struts and then the bit in between is week, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. And, and I, when I look back at my uh, life, I'd see these structures stretching down, you know, stretching away into, into the distance and in, into the horizon. And within that, there's like significant cultural kind of moments yeah. it could be the you know moon landings could yeah. be the beatles could be 9-11 or whatever you know could be but when you think now that um when i was racing when i first started racing it was nearer the beatles heyday than it is now you yeah know? Wow. So, so it's kind of it's kind of weird yeah, of course isn't it? yeah i understand so um and it does seem an eternity ago yeah uh, although we had color photography in the, in the 80s <laughs> um uh, but it's weird when uh People often post on Facebook. Oh, it's really nice. People, not all the time, but occasionally you'll see a little picture pop up and it's generally, it's generally of Cycling Weekly yeah. of me when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, and it's black and white. Yeah. And that really does date it. It's yeah, like, oh my course. God. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But no, it was it was very, very different. I joined um, the Hemel Hempson Cycling Club, yeah. of which I'm a, a life member. Now. Oh, amazing. Um, they made me a life member, one of one of the nationals yeah. um, in 98. Oh, cool. But um, I was a runner and a football player yeah. before that, an exceptionally average football player, yeah. I may add, yeah. um, who dreamt that I dreamt that I'd be a pro football player first. Yeah. And I had a very simple way of looking at, looking at it. I was completely unaware of how many people lived in the UK, yeah. but I knew how many teams there were in the four divisions at the time. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, I thought, yeah. simple bit of maths, oh, I'm going to be a pro footballer. Yeah. That's done, done yeah. deal. Easy. So I went into football. Yeah. Um, Got an injury um, called Osgood Schlatter's disease, which is basically an injury, uh, injuries that kids pick up when they're training hard. What's it called? Osgood Schlatter's. Wow. It's named after a person, I believe, who wow. identified it. So basically got young bones trying to grow. And if you're doing an impact sport, so I was doing a lot of running on the track, mm. um, half marathons, 
cross country and mm. football. Mm. Um, and I was growing and, and I was ended up not injured, but I was mm. in a, a hell of a lot of pain all the time yeah. after training. So I went to the doctor. They said, yeah, this is what you've got. Um, you just need to stop, stop doing those kind of sports. And my dad was a keen cyclist. So he said, why don't you join a, I know I already rode my bike to school. He said, yeah. why don't you join a local club yeah. and see, so it goes. I was like, okay. So I went down to Bob Addy's bike shop in Watford. Okay. Got a leaflet yeah. off the side. Um, on the leaflet, it said, come and join our club, come to our club nights. Yeah, excellent. So, and there were a Thursday night um, in, um, where was it? On Just somewhere near Hemel Hempstead. And um, went down on a Thursday night, rode there, put my lights on. Now there's enormous lights with the two big batteries in yeah, one. That, they rattle yeah. and they hardly ever worked. Yeah, yeah. And they, Last for about 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. I had those on. Yeah. Uh, Dynamo, rode in. Excellent. Didn't know anybody. And... Um, and it was just great. And they, yeah. they kind of welcomed me in there. The table tennis magazines is like a little tea shop. There's a gym downstairs. It, it was just great. And um, I started to go out on the bike with those guys. Um, but it was very different then. It was, I, w- I was quite fit quite quickly. And I, I picked, picked up riding pretty easily and I was pretty strong. So, and before long, through like, in the, eight, like the winter of 86, sorry, 86 into 87, doing some long miles on the weekend, mm. meet on a Saturday and a Sunday, then meet in the week on a Thursday. Yeah. Um, and then they do like circuit training and stuff like that. So the, the, the club so scene- So when you say long miles, what, I mean, you know, obviously having conversations with, you know, Chris Lillywhite, his understanding of long miles and training back in the day is probably a little bit different to what people talk about long miles now. So what, what, what are your long miles? Well, I'd, I'd- I suppose you were quite young at the time. Yeah, right? I was quite young, but okay, I was fine, yeah. 16, 17, but we're doing, we were doing like 70 mile on a Saturday to the yeah. calf and then a hundred mile on a Sunday. Yeah, fine. Uh, you're out all day. Yeah. And there'd be 10 or 15, sometimes 20 of us out on, yeah. on a Sunday and a couple of riders would come from other clubs. Um, I didn't, my dad was great. I had a, I had a second-hand bike, second-hand cycling kit. Mm. Um, my dad was a, a motorcycle marshal on the milk race and used to get a lot of free bits and bobs. And, and I, I wore a tracksuit top which wasn't even a cycling top. It yeah. was an Adidas tracksuit top with a C-Lynx logo on it. Um, and I pimped it up, for example. This is what it was like. I had a pair of overshoes that I'd worn out. Yeah. CD overshoes. Yeah. They, were, they were blue, like, like made out of diving boot material. Yeah, they were bright, bright blue. They'd worn out. So I cut the CD logo off yeah. and hand-stitched it onto my tracksuit top. Nice. And all the lads were like, yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. That's, that's what it was like. We didn't have much. You could do that now and you'd be the coolest cat in the yeah, pack, mate. Right, yeah, yeah. Probably end up being quite hipster. Ma- yeah, maybe we need to look at that. If you get a bum bag or a saddlebag, you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> but but, it, was, but it, was, it, it, was, it was great fun. And we, we did things like hosteling. We'd go away for the weekend uh, in, through into Banbury, places yeah, like amazing. that, Cotswolds and ride. Um, but it was very, very niche. You know, there wasn't... You, people would... You know, you get shouted at by kids and stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, and motorists, even, even though the roads were quieter weren't particularly understanding. Yeah. Although there've been clubs for years. I mean, yeah. and we, we do have a, we have a long established scene of cycling, you know, cycling clubs and time trialing and stuff, but it's exceptionally niche. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I find so fascinating because now, you know, if somebody wants to, you know, sort of join a start riding, mm. usually it's Google or Facebook and you meet loads of groups and there's some amazing kind of like local community based groups that are at, focus on getting people into riding. But what did that look like? I mean, obviously you've spoken that you've got into mm. your, you know, sort of that local club, but with regards to how people reacted or, or, or treated you for, 
um, you know, wearing cycling kit and going out on these big rides, even some amongst your peers, what must that have been like? Because now it's very accepted. People just, oh, Absolutely. you're a cyclist. You're one of those guys. Do you shave your legs? Yeah. Back then, I mean, you know, was that was it a, a foreign thing? Was it a niche thing? Did people think you were strange or? Yeah, I, th- I think um, it kind of did. It was different when you went abroad. Um, of course. I, um, I went abroad to see the Tour de France. Yeah. And again, this is a, a story I've told a lot, but I'll tell it to add a bit of context. Yeah. You know, I went saw the 86 Tour de France yeah. with my dad. Amazing. Um, went on Abdouez and watched obviously Le Monde and Hino. Yeah. And that really yeah, amazing. Uh, had a profound effect on me yeah. as a youngster. And then from being, wanting to be a professional footballer, I wanted to be a professional cyclist. Went back, hadn't, didn't race in 1986. I don't remember racing anyway. Then I just raced in, I might've done one race at Eastway or something. And then um, I'd, I was already in the Hemel Hempstead just, just for fun really. It was yeah. almost like, it was basically like, a, the best way to put it actually, I've never really said it in this context. It was a social club on wheels. Yeah. It, it really, really yeah. was. But the network was different. It was yeah. word of mouth. Yeah. People that you knew because of, no, there was no internet. Yeah, of course. It was just cycling magazines. Yeah local newspapers yeah. and something as simple as a leaflet in a bike yeah. shop because yeah. there's your audience yeah. going to a bike shop yeah. buy a bike yeah. there's a leaflet for a cycling yeah. club and it was localised you know so yeah, beautiful. so it's very very nice. very simple and, and organic so you but because of that because it was it was very there wasn't much in the media yeah um, if you were lucky like the Tour de France or the classics would get like you know a, a couple of inches in the Daily Telegraph. That's mm. where you got your information on who'd won the Ace Bastion Liège or something. How about it? Or yeah. you waited a week yeah. and you got Cycling Weekly. Cycling Weekly. So quite often I wouldn't buy, wouldn't read the newspapers. So yeah. when I got Cycling Weekly, it was yeah. literally as if it was live. So you'd read the reports wow. and found out who won the races. Mm. And Cycling Weekly, winning magazine back then, although winning was monthly, that was your kind of portal. That was your entrance yeah. point into the, into the pro scene unless you travelled and watched the races. Yeah. So... It was very niche. Um, people did kind of look at you a bit strangely quite often. But that, do you know what? That extended all the way through the 80s, even into the 90s, and even into the early noughties when I was in the yeah. police. When yeah. I, when I first joined the police, and I'm going back in two here, but it's just to show you when re- things really took off. I remember r- riding, well, before I joined the police, I, r- I worked at Marks and Spencer's, and I was riding for Harrods. Okay, yeah. So I was Harrods sponsored rider yeah. working at Martin Spencer, which yeah. is quite weird. Excellent, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I was the only person that rode to work, and they'd like gently rib me and, and take the Mickey. And it, I was still in the late nineties, otherwise British champion, still a bit of an oddity. And then jo- join the police. Um, I'd ride in, and they'd wolf whistle and take take the Mickey in a nice way, but I'd get ribbed. But then, ten years in. And after the success of the kind of the, you know, the 2000, 2000 Olympics, 2004, 2008. Yes. Which was track. Yeah, which yeah, is on which the track. The track success, on the track. Yeah. But then we still had like success with riders like Nicole Cook as well. Of course. Um, but not a great deal of success on the road. But uh, I, I, was, I was still racing into my late 30s for Sigma Sports. Yeah. Excuse me, at that point. Um, but it was like a, a, a kind of switch clicked. One guy came from CID into my office mm. and said, Matt, have you got... What bike should I, I want to get a bike, I want to start getting fit. Next week, another guy said, okay, and I actually sold some of my old stuff to him. Yeah, wow. And I put it in the direction of a, of a decent bike shop. Um, so we had one guy from CID riding in, and eventually, within two years, uh, the whole of CID, huh. well, most of them were riding in, and they had to build an extension on the side of the police station yeah. for all the bikes. And, it, are you- and it, literally, there's all these lycra-clad police officers coming in so for a crew police station. From, from from one to like so honestly good. from like 15, 20 people. And, and I think that was kind of 
a little microcosm, almost represented what was happening in the country. I was going to say, are you attributing that to the success that we were starting to see on the track? And of course, there was, you know, you know, you know, it's well documented. There were starting to, you know, trickle effects into the road yeah. scene and into sort of the larger kind of races, whether it be, you know, the Grand Tours or exactly. Or, and you were seeing that as a direct correlation to yeah. the locals just getting into it. And and you, and you just go out on your bike and see more people. Yeah. Uh, and and now it is incredible. Um, and I don't get out on the road quite as much, but the other day I. You know, I, I came here with Lucy from Sigma mm. and we went out for a ride. And it was it was like being on a sportif. It was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. It, it's, I mean, it's yeah. insane, yeah. It, it, the amount of people that are riding yeah. bikes. But back then, you yeah. know, all you'd have was the occasional loner and, and mostly just clubs riding yeah. around. And, then we had, and we had it all to ourselves. And yeah, it, and, and the weird... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been sort of riding for like seriously for like 15 plus years now i'm just trying to think this this place has been open for six years and i remember before i kind of got involved we're sat here uh, above the cafe in asia and opposite our cafe is uh, costa coffee and that's been open for about 20 years i think roughly give or take and i remember meeting with a friend there for a coffee and these guys came in fully kitted up in lycra and i remember sat there going look at these guys yeah you know as in it was this oddity and yeah. this was you know realistic this is probably around circa sort of 2000 right okay. that was before i had really got into it so yeah. maybe i got into it at the same time some of your colleagues were getting into yeah, it yeah yeah and you know fast forward 20 years i've opened up a business catering for those strange people wearing lycra and 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 thin tires and making a living and making a living out of it you know it's, yeah uh, it's, not, it's and, not a hobby is it you and do it's, it. this it's is part of this kind of yeah it's part of this you know bigger thing and you're right i remember those days where we used to go to surrey hills and it felt as though we had it to ourselves. and now yeah we're having to pick our lanes so they're quiet it's it's a funny one because um i remember when you when you have something that you love yeah. and, and, and you there's not many other people that do it. It's kind of cool. And and we yeah, we, we thought we were quite that, yeah. niche and we and we were quite protective of it to the yeah. to a point that we were a little bit I mean, we certainly weren't exclusive in terms of what we had and stuff, but we we thought we were a little bit exclusive. So and as I said before, it was word of mouth that got you on mm. a ride. So somebody if somebody wanted to join the club, invariably they'd go to a, a club night, meet everybody and or they might just turn up, they might see on a leaflet you don't have to be a member to join a ride. You can yeah, just come sure, out. Just you know. come. So nine o'clock, we'd meet um, at Hemel Hempstead Station, or just on the A41 there before going into the lanes. And um, occasionally you get another rider join us. But I remember, and it, it makes me feel a bit ashamed actually, how rude we were. We wouldn't yeah. initially embrace them. Yeah. We'd, we'd just say, right, yeah, right, mate. Yeah. And then we wouldn't talk to them. Yeah. Um, we'd just we'd ride with them. If they punch you, we'd just leave them behind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we, if we dropped them, we dropped them, yeah. and it was almost. But if they survived that, yeah. then they would be like a, it was almost like a like this a rite of passage. Like you had to come out, and you had to you know you you got to learn. Yeah. And slowly, and we I'm, and I know that we did lose a few people. Yeah. yeah. And and but then we gained some. Yeah. When you look back, you think that's so absurd. Like well, now it's about being is open and inclusive. But yeah. back then, we wanted it. The, the analogy I use is like you got a bag of crisps in the playground, your favourite crisps, and reluctantly offering your mate a crisp, and you're clutching onto the bottom of the yeah. bag so they can't get yeah, any yeah, like yeah, more yeah, than yeah, one yeah. out. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, like yeah, that. Totally, yeah, yeah. Oh, we wanted it to ourselves. Yeah. And it's funny. But, do you know? There's, of course, you know, there's there's pros and cons to that, and we, you know, the Giro as a coffee shop is all about that inclusivity. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. However, we are definitely seeing the. 
this, the possible pitfalls of it. And a big part of it is down to etiquette on the road. Yeah. And I remember riding with guys who, you know, I got involved with some of the Sigma crew, you know, sort of many years ago and riding with some of them. And they've been riding for 20, 30 years before that. And if I was out of line, I'd get an earful. But you knew, you knew because yeah, it was, it, you learn. Yeah. And a big part of that was around safety. Yeah. And a big part of that was, you know, especially now when there's so many more riders yeah. on the road. I mean, well, if we think about the etiquette, it is primarily safety-based, pretty much all of them, pointing out holes and stuff like that. And, you know, you say it's a rite of passage, but I remember trying to keep up and it was it was driving me, you know, and it was, you yeah. progress further as a cyclist. Um, but you just want to improve, you know, and, yeah. it, and it, there's that aspect that you love, you know. And so, yes, okay, some people would drop, sure, but, you know, they, I'm sure they found another group. Well, hopefully they found another group. Yeah. It, and, and, you know, now around the, I mean, we can talk about it in a minute, but the scale of cycling that we're dealing with, there are ramifications and an aspect of that safety on the road. Yeah. And it's something I'm really, really hot on with our guys. And yeah. I, there's been a few times we've been out on the road and I've been very, very vocal yeah. that this shouldn't have happened. I mean, I'll go off on one, but a couple of weeks ago, we, we uh, you know, we're out and we were quite a large group. Um, and normally what we do is we roll out to Cobham and then split it. Because uh, it's safer to kind of split it up there after yeah. we've got a, you know the Portsmouth Road out the way. But then this other bigger group were coming down from London, and they then took exception to us and started coming around us, which meant there were four or five wide going down this dual carriageway. And I put on the brakes on our group, slowed it all down because at one point we maybe had forty riders Bloody in one hell, spot of the yeah. road, and it's just not safe. Yeah. And those, I mean, I'm going off on a tangent here, but. I know back in the day that just wouldn't be allowed to happen. Yeah, I mean, we were, I mean, 20, 30 years ago, the roads were quieter, but still, of course. We're, you're on the open road. Yeah. And, um, you know, we would always sing, we'd, we'd ride it to abreast, but if a, if there was a car behind, you yeah. know, we'd say, oil up, and we'd single yeah. out, let them pass. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. All that sort yeah, of yeah. stuff. So, and, and you learn very, very quickly, yeah. um, you know, the, how important it was to ride kind of safely, yeah, yeah. you know. And, and when you think about, all those years of like riding in clubs um, and then you see people come into the sport wide-eyed they yeah. see the attraction of it yeah. by whatever they might have watched the tour for example yeah. Yeah. Um, that, or they might just want to get fit or they might want to do Ride London or whatever the reason they come into the sport mm. with no knowledge apart from I think I can ride a bike that's it yeah. and when you think about and I'll, I'll talk about GCN briefly when you think about all the videos that we made at GCN back yeah. in the day and they're still making now yeah basically deconstructing what it takes to be a bike rider. Yes. Let's not, yeah. not, not an elite bike rider, yeah. just a rider just can a rider, go out, yeah, yeah. put the kit on and go and try and get fit, yeah. wherever it may be, yeah. in the mountains, on the flat, wherever, locally. Mm. Um, when you start stripping it down, yeah. there are so many component parts to just being a cyclist. Absolutely. And, but we've assumed all that. You, you, over the last 15 years, me over the last kind of 35 years, mm. have built up that knowledge. Um, but it does take time to build up that. I'm mean, yeah. constantly learning. Yeah. But um, so you've got all this. So I, I never, never assume. It's like, blimey, when people ask a question, it's easy to think, well, why don't you know that? It's like, well, they mm. don't know it because they mm. haven't experienced it or nobody's told them. Yeah. But in the club scene, you you learnt it by a, a process of almost osmosis yeah. or you were told quite bluntly, what yeah. the hell are you doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so being accepting and trying, but if you're not in a club and you just come into the sport yeah. and you're out on the open road, yeah. I think that's why there's, there's kind of issues between, you know, that's one of the factors why there's a little bit of tension between motorists and cyclists oh, sure. sometimes, like I mean, getting we, all political. But we, we, we could do another podcast on yeah, that thing. You know, but there's so, so many, uh, the scourge of the streets. Yeah. There's that horrible program. Anyway, 
But that's, so, what, that's what club. That's what being in a club kind of gave yeah. is given to me anyway. You know? So that next step then from being in a club yeah. through to racing, yeah, and actually, you know, being a in, you know mine and many others, you know, opinion, a very successful racer. When did that start to become a reality for you? Um, quite quite quickly in terms of success um, or domestically. Yeah. So, eighty six went to the tour. Eighty seven, um, I won the junior tour of Wales. Yeah. So the following season, yeah. I, I'd. I'd, you know, he grown. I'd grown up a lot more. Was was quite strong on the hills. Yeah. Won the junior tour of Wales. Second in the national Peter Buckley series is like the you know, the, the uh, national road series of events. Yeah. Following year, I won that overall. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I won, and I was. I ended up on the British junior team within within two years. So I was on the British junior team. Um, so then, I mean, obviously, to be on the British junior team, that's a that's a big deal. Yeah. It was. It was. I remember. And, and this is one one of the differences. I can't remember the race I did, but I went. I think I went to Holland, Netherlands, did a race, and um, I received a letter through the post to say I've been selected. Literally, a letter. So it opened up a letter to say I've been selected. Then another letter came to say this is where you're going to meet. Yeah. You know. Um, so there's no obviously no emails. We didn't really even phone phone up. We just got letters from mm. British Cycling, which then were based in Kettering. There's mm. about an office of about four people <laughs> running it, Gosh. and then you'd meet. Um, and that of a that of a bin liner uh, of the kit. Yeah, wow. So you had your own shorts, your club shorts, yeah. and then you had a tracksuit. Yeah. And if you were late, if you weren't first into the into the bin liner, you might end up with a tracksuit that was too big or too small. And then you gave it back at the end, and and your jerseys you gave back, and they took them back to Kettering, and laundered them, and then gave them out to the next lot. That's what it wow. was like. And they had like, I think they had one van, and two team cars, and that was it. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it was. It was a really, and we were, when we went abroad and raced, and that extended through like the following year when I was when I was senior. Yeah. So I won the Peter Buckley's in 89. It was my first year as a senior. I wanted to be a pro, and I knew that. Yeah. I'd had offers to go abroad and to turn pro domestically, actually. Okay. But I wanted to go and, go and do the traditional route and live in France for a, for a big team. Yeah, wow. But I thought year one, I'm just gonna race domestically and internationally, yeah. then go and live in France. Yeah. Mum and dad were supportive. Had a part-time job, worked in the mornings. Um, so rode, rode for the Hemel and um, immediately started winning winning pretty decent races and, and getting good placings in the Star Trophy Series as a 19-year-old to the point where I got selected for the the World Championships yeah, in wow. the seniors. Amazing. It was when you had professionals and amateurs back yes, then. Yes, of course, yeah. So it's the equivalent of the under-23s yes. really, but you could be any age. Yeah. And, and then I rode the, and I won a big stage race in Germany called the mm. Hessen Rundfahrt. Mm. Uh, a lot of very good riders were there preparing for the World Championships. Then I rode in Chambry where Le Monde won for yes. the pros, and a guy called Hulutchok won the race that I rode. I punctured, unfortunately. Uh. But it was a, so a lot happened in a short period of time. Um, but it was, there wasn't a lot of money in British cycling at that particular no. point. There was no, there wasn't, no kind of mutterings of lottery funding at that point. Was there, a, was there money? Was there money in cycling in general then? Uh, weirdly, at that, it's not weirdly, but at that time, now to put this in context, I was offered a contract in 1990 yes. or 1989 by Percy Bilton, which okay. is a pro team. I don't think Chris didn't write for him, but they, they were really good, a big pro team. I was offered 18 grand in 1989 oh, wow. for, a one, for a one year deal with yeah. a pro team. Um, oh, I turned it That's down. Like six figures now. Well, it, well, it's kind of, it's, <laughs> yeah. that was, it's like, when I, my, I told my dad, he's like, that's more than I earn in the, it's like, that's more than I earn. Wow. So, but the British scene yeah. for professionals was, was 
Of course. It was it, it was actually quite big. Yeah. But again, very niche. It was yeah. based at their, their own series of road races. Um, but they had a lot of, you know, the, the Kellogg's crits, the, the Prudential yeah. crits, in, moving into the 90s, the same format, and Sky sponsored yeah. them. Um, so there yeah, was that's right, yeah. a cluster of about, I think there's about 60 registered pros in the UK, just based in the UK. Wow. Uh, with their own kind of race series, and there was the occasional pro am. So actually, but I, I wanted to, do, I wanted to be a pro abroad. Mm. So I kind of thought, and it wasn't like a out of disrespect or anything. I thought, well, I don't want to be a British pro. Mm. I want to go abroad and mm. do it. So Paul Sherwin helped arrange a spot on ACBB Athletic Club Boulogne Biancourt, where Phil Anderson had been before, mm. Robert Miller had been before, mm. Sean Yates. Mm. So. Alan Piper, like the yeah. Foreign Legion of Riders had, had yeah. been through there. And and that, so I was there for three years, basically, yeah, well. uh, racing for, you know, I was on a hundred francs a month, hundred quid, so 25 pound a week. Yeah, wow. Well. Um, and it was, it was tough, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. I learned another language. I, li- yeah. I basically lived in a tracksuit. Yeah, amazing. Uh, for a year, for three years. Um, and then um, won a big, won a big race every year. Didn't quite get a pro contract, but ended up, getting picked the Olympic Games in 92 in Barcelona for the mm. road race. That was big. Yeah, of course. Um, so I was, but it was still, being on the, being doing the Olympics was, was amazing, but um, still British cycling was quite, was, was still pr- pretty underfunded. And when you went to race with, with, with BC, there were good, good people, right? Great people. But we were, saying third world isn't, isn't kind of right, but we, we looked we stood out yeah, because sure. we were so we yeah. looked so bad. Yeah, yeah. Second hand kit. Yeah. All riding our own bikes. Yeah. Spare bikes on the roof that a bit that were like three or four years old. Yeah. Um and you looked at other teams like the French, the Italians, the Russians still at that point, yeah. um, East Germans, America everybody else was we were like on a par with places like Romania and Bulgaria yeah. and that in terms yeah. of honestly, it was it was a but that was normal for us. Yeah, we just thought, oh, this is it. We just because we're a small, a small nation. We're an island, and cycling's not really big. But it's great to represent your country. But we, that was the way it was. Was that reflected when you came back? As in, you know, I presume you had sort of, you know, friends and, and family who didn't know anything about cycling or knew very few, and you'd been to the Olympics or been to the World Champs, and yeah, and for you, and in cycling, that's a very big deal to talk about now. But were they like, oh, yeah, all right. No, I, I think the, the Olympic thing um, was 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 big. I yeah. mean, obviously. I mean, it's quite moderate. When you look back in the, in the grand scheme of things, the success we've had, just me riding the Olympics doesn't mean much at all. But um, for me, it means a lot. And yeah, at that course, time, it was a big yeah. deal. It was only three of you. I think it's the Olympics, only a small team. Only three yeah. of us got picked. Yeah. Um, so it was a big deal. Um, and I, I got a little bit of press sort of locally and stuff. Yeah, but, uh, and um, funny enough, I did end up on a couple of kids' TV shows. <laughs> um you know, so you want to, I think, I can't, I can't remember the name of the show. Do you have a Blue Peter badge? I don't, oh. unfortunately. Otherwise, I probably would have brought that in, you should have said, yeah. but I don't have one. Um, so I don't. But but I I didn't turn pro. I was offered a pro contract by the t- ACBB were going to turn pro. It was when basically the amateur class kind of was dissolved and it turned into the under 23 and elite. Okay. Um, the kind of, the, the kind of, structure yes. that we see these yes. days that yes. kind of morphed in the mid kind of 90s yes um so i was offered a contract by by my team that folded in the wind so i came home in 1993 and got yeah. a job at, at marks and spencer okay, fine. and raced for several teams through the 90s but i was in my early 20s but i was still very very good yeah i was probably one of the best riders in, yeah. in the country yeah without without a doubt yeah. top three 
um, won on quite a few big races. 1995 was a very, very important year because um, the velodrome had been built um, ahead of the Olympic bid for 2000s. And not a lot of people might know that the Manchester bid for yeah, the Olympics course, in yeah. 2000s, or not the big bidding process was yeah. in the early 90s. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. So that, that, was, that was quite big. Um, although they didn't get the, they didn't, they weren't successful. Um, Olympic qualification was imperative to secure lot, lottery funding because the lottery funding came online yes. and, and then sports federations yeah. and charities were all vying and bidding yeah. for a bit of the pot. Yeah. So to bid for a pot, you've got to have a, a relative amount of success that you can then build on and grow. Yeah, of course. And this is the kind of Which big, is still true today. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. one of the turn, I mean, it's, but it's kind of perpetuated yeah. now, isn't it? But yeah. then it was just like we're starting from, yeah. from kind of zero. Yeah. Um, Although we had obviously people like Chris Bourbon and stuff, you know, yeah, a real, course, a real yeah, trailblazer, yeah. Sean Yates, Robert Miller. Mm. So we had some success, but certainly not anything near what we've got now. Well, I mean, it was, you know, you'd argue that their success was not necessarily for forgive for my sort of crude language, not necessarily homegrown, if that makes sense. You know, attributing a lot of their success to being involved in racing in Europe. Yeah, it, it, com- compared exactly. to now, which is, you know, realistically homegrown, if that makes sense. Yeah, that they basically um, went through the club scene yeah. and then went, went abroad. And actually, yeah. went. To the same team that I did, yeah. uh, so they just did it off their own back. Yeah, um, but but things obviously now are very very different. Very different. But '95 was a big year. We had to qualify the male elite, the male amateur road race. We had to um, finish, I think, one rider in the first twenty countries. It's a funny kind of okay. uh, in this race. So suddenly there was some money to train for the world championships yeah. because it was at altitude in Colombia. Okay. So it was a big, so I was on the, so I took on paid leave from Marks and Spencer's, got picked, thought, okay. Um, the course I'd heard about was brutal. Still mm. one of the hardest courses that they've ever had. Climbed a thousand feet every lap. Good heavy. Yeah, so 300 meters a lap, Gosh. 10 laps. And then the pros did another four laps on top of that. <laughs> so we did two weeks at altitude in um, Colorado. Um, then we went to Colombia. And anyway, cut long story short, I. Nobody finished apart from me, and I finished seventh mm. uh, in the world road race. Wow. So that was like, whoa, yeah. okay. I, I knew I'd still had it, and I was feeling very, very good. And got an, I got offered a contract from you know uh, from the nascent US prep, uh, US Postal team. Oh wow! And I I kind of verbally accepted a deal from US Postal with a very famous coach called Eddie Borshevitz. They're looking yeah. for a young climber, so I kind of verbally agreed, and then we stayed in contact. And then he left the team; he got sacked. Oh, okay. And then again, the days before emails and stuff like that, yeah. I just lost contact with yeah. them. So, and then yeah, Jeremy Hunt, a teammate of mine, went to Benesto the following yeah. year. Yeah. So 96, 97, I was, I was racing, you know, I was one of the best riders in the country. I did have a little bit of lottery funding actually. Okay. I think it was two grand a year oh, or wow. two and a half grand a year. And then a grand or a grand and a half, two grand from the teams that I was riding for. So I obviously had to work. Of course. And I was, you know, still one of the best riders yeah. around. And then towards the back end of the 90s, 97, 98, uh, the Harrods team formed. I joined them yeah. with Chris Lillywhite. Yeah. Um, and then on, in 1998, the, the national champs was in Solihull. Yeah. And the plan was to ride for Chris because yeah. it was a flat course. Yeah. And I ended up winning. Yeah. And then I went to Commonwealth Games yeah. with Chris. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then... And you're, you guys are on speaking terms now? Just about, <laughs> just about. Yeah, don't, I don't get mates rates on plumbing, no, though, no. Uh, sadly. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, yeah, and then, um, so it ticked along. And finally, 98, 99 is when um, I got a deal with Linda McCartney. So yeah. when I properly turned pro, yeah. pro, pro, yeah. 
I was 30, for crying out loud. And you were already a national champion and... Yeah, yeah been, I'd done a couple of games, done the Olympics and, yeah. and had already a 10-year career, or 12-year yeah. career yeah. under my belt um, and struggled a lot, a lot of, of the course. time. I had a lot, of, a lot of highs and lows, yeah. but, you know, I, I had a kind of self... Wave, like, no, like a wavering self-belief. Yeah. Unwavering self-belief, I can get yeah. that right. Yeah. That I'd do it and, and eventually I did. So, yeah. yeah, but it was unbelievably different, mate. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it really was. Um, but only fond memories because you meet so many good people you get to yeah. travel learn other language you learn and cycling like any endurance sport or, or any kind of any, anything that you that requires a degree of discipline I think is good is good is good for people and um, you know it's um, teamwork as well so yeah. it's given me a lot but I, I, but to think I'm still in the sport now having this conversation with you yeah. I have to pinch myself sometimes yeah. you know I think what I love about you know, in the sort of the short tenure that I've kind of had in, in and around cycling and, you know, sort of, you know, latter the industry. I think what I like about it the most is a lot of the people that have been involved in cycling for 20 years plus are still involved now. And they're still just as much in love with the sport. Yeah. And I really love that. And, you know, if you go to sort of industry sort of meets or perfect example, up at the World Champs last, last uh, September, you're seeing so many of these old faces and, yeah. and it was just catch up and it's like, look at this, look at what this thing has become. Yeah. I remember a, um, a significant moment um, in 2011 when they were doing the test race for the Olympic route. Obviously the Olympic come, came yeah. down this high street, Olympic road race came down this high street. And that would obviously, as we know years later would become the Ride London and then the Surrey Classic. But that was, I think called the Surrey Classic 2011. Yeah, Sigma. Sigma Sport. I was managing the UCI Sigma yeah, Sports really. team, so we. Uh, I didn't ride it. I was in the car, but yeah. the, the team rode. Yeah, Sigma rode that. Yeah. And I remember my um, my wife and I. Um, we had a flat just sort of the other side of Isha here, and so we went down to Cafe Rouge to kind of watch them come past, and it was on the lookout for Cav because he just won the green jersey, so he was wearing that green S Works, you know, That's Prevail it, yeah. helmet, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh, there he is, and but the uh, crowds that were lining the street was that was the first time I thought, hang on, this is, this is really going to blow. And cycling was already starting yeah, to grow. It was, I mean, it was insane, you know, wasn't I think it? it was that year that Cav won Sports Personality of the Year yeah. and, you know, kind of on a... 2011, on a, yeah, he won that, did On a national level, cycling was becoming <clears> a <throat> popular sport. And that was, you know, that's nearly 10 years ago. Now okay. it's exponentially bigger. Yeah. But I remember going, hang on, this is, this is really a thing. I think, I think it's always been, there's always... Like the back in the day, the milk and we didn't have the same kind of the milk race was was a big race. Milk race was big, and that got yeah, we had reasonably big crowds, but it was. Um, but I think there's as well as the success in the Olympics, it's events like the Tour of Britain, like Mick Bennett's Absolutely. Tour of Britain, yeah, yeah. you know the Tour Series as well, and, and latterly the, the Women's Tour, and then of course the Tour de Yorkshire when the Tour came in 2007, yeah, uh, and then it's obviously been back since the crowds actually you know and having you know ridden a Grand Tour and been and worked on all, th all three Grand Tours a few times, I can honestly say that the crowds in the UK yeah, um, are, are seriously second to none. Yeah. So, and that's just the Tour, the tour of yeah. Britain, is, I, I can include in that. It's, yeah. it's insane. And then when the tour comes here yeah. uh, and you've got the Tour of Yorkshire, it, it's just absolutely nuts. So we love it and we almost can't get enough of it. You when, know, that, uh, when the tour came, I forget which year it was, when they had their Grand Depart up in Yorkshire. 2014. 2014. It, yeah. You had the riders coming off and saying their ears were ringing. Because they yeah. literally had people screaming yeah. in their ears for hours. Yeah. It was like they'd been in a nightclub, yeah. which is just, I mean, it's, 
considering where it was and yes i mean you're absolutely right the trailblazers like you know mcbennett and you know phil Liggett with the milk race and yep. phenomenal what they were doing back then and to see that evolve and grow you know that that famous phrase i think it's isaac newton you know if i'm seeing farther than others only because i'm standing on the shoulders of giants yeah and that's you know we really have to attribute the success and you know what the industry is standing on now to decades worth of oh yeah trailblazers who were going against the grain it wasn't a popular sport you know, when you look at like the you know the early iterations of the tour of britain or the yeah. the, the, the new version of the tour of britain back in 2006 2007 the, yes. cr- the crowds weren't massive and it no. was it had, didn't have the fields were kind of Average. I mean, average, make, yeah. when you compare them to what they've got now, and now it's one of the biggest races in the world, some of the biggest crowds. It is phenomenal. So there are, you know, certain individuals that mm. have played a big part in it. Yeah. And obviously, alongside that, you know, the it when you get people out and inspired by athletes, mm. kids especially, or yeah. just anybody thinks, "Oh, that looks that looks like yeah. work," but it might a bit of that I might go yeah. might go down the road in the local bike shop and buy a bike, and it just grows, doesn't it? It grows and grows and grows, and then the thing is about cycling. Once it gets, once it, once it gets in your blood. Oh. I mean, you look at all these people, you know, come here who yeah. clearly have, have got into the sport yeah. uh, later in life, yeah. but they're absolutely yeah. consumed by yeah. it all, yeah. and it's it's wonderful. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, it's uh, so whatever. I mean, people, are, and it's a sport you can drop into yeah. quite late yeah. as long as yeah. you, yeah. you can balance. You can yeah. ride a bike. Yeah. You know, whatever you do in life, whatever shape or size, yeah. or you know, you can you can ride and. Um, and this commu- this amazing community has grown. I like the fact it's really tribal as well. You've got all the other spin-off, yeah. you know, like BMX and kind of like yeah, of course. gravel riding and cross mountain. I just, I love it all. You know, I love it all. That's a nice maybe segue to what you're doing now. You know, the last couple of years, we've seen you have more sort of prominence on some of the, you know, TV and podcasts. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've said this to you before, um, but sincerely, I, as not only a fan of the sport, I just love and absorb your passion for it as well because it is a genuine thing i remember um sitting down with um this is not long after we opened actually sitting down with dean downing oh yeah he, he came in here and they were sort of doing a few bits and we were just talking about it and he said to me he goes hey look you know it's really exciting that you're kind of doing this cafe but never lose love for the sport yeah having that i think respect and almost honor for being able to do make a, a living out of something that you love and exactly as you say once it's in your blood it's it it's difficult to put words to it it's in yeah. you and you love it and what that opens out to and especially the the friendships and the community that you form and i love that you go out on the surrey hills and you know obviously the local famous climb here is box hill yeah. you can go up there as a you know a skinny climber and smash a time up there in five minutes or whatever yeah. it is and you can get to the top and be absolutely exhausted or someone who's just getting into it might take 15 minutes getting yeah. up there but that feeling at the top is exactly the same no you're right i don't know a sport like that i think that's no, beautiful it's um i wouldn't call it it's not exactly a level, a level playing field but it's uh, that everybody you know can push themselves to their own kind of limits yeah. and um and there's a royal or well, there's an amazing satisfaction you get off that yeah. that you kind of um i think because cycling is so hard, yeah. um, especially if you, well, whatever you do, if you achieve a goal, mm. generally there's been a lot of sacrifice, a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, but any sort of That's modicum true. of success you get, whether it's w- winning the Tour de France mm. or losing a little bit of weight mm. or being able to ride 10 yeah. miles for the first time, whatever, and everything in between, yeah. that that it's it's such a sweet kind of feeling. Yeah. It, it means a hell of a lot. Yeah. Um, 
and um, and it kind of stays with you. And I don't ride as much as I used to, mm. obviously, but um, but weirdly, I enjoy riding my bike more than ever now yeah, because yes. I can take my time. Yeah. I can go, yes. I can give it, a, I can rip it up on Zwift if I want to, yeah. or or go hard up a climb, or I can just go really easy and yeah. stop every now and again and take yeah. a photo. I I really love riding my bike more than ever. Even when, like I had good memories of racing, but generally. It was just hard work. Yeah, I mean, of course, yeah. one day a week cafe ride, but a lot of it was kind of relentless. I mean, you were training. You were training for exactly. a, a job, a career. But now you look back, yeah. look back with fondness, and yeah. and obviously, oh, I, I could talk all day about it. But you know, I'm 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 doing what I do now, which has got a real, you know, broad kind of yeah. feel. Like I do a lot of different things within the in, within the industry, and but I can still ride, and it's 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 immensely satisfying. So I mean, let's let's kind of break down what you're doing now then. Uh, and I know you're you are short on time, so we'll right. kind of start to wrap this up. But um, you know, we mentioned the 2011 you know sort of test event that was coming through Asia, and I think that kind of partnered up with you know the sort of different social medias and YouTube and GCN. Yeah, and that very much kind of coupled you know this kind of growth of cycling. Yeah. Uh, and I remember GCN, I think I remember the launch of GCN, you know, and it was, yeah. you know, only a couple of videos. 20, and I know, twenty, yeah, I know Lloydie was involved and he's right. a Sigma kit all over it. And, yeah, yeah. and then obviously it's grown now, you know, into something that is, uh, uh, has a global recognition. Yeah. But obviously you were very involved in that. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about what you're doing there and what you're doing now. And then what we look forward to kind of seeing from you moving forward. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had four and a half, you know, absolutely amazing years yeah. at GCN yeah. and uh, made, you know, I think is, I, I already knew the guys there, you know, yeah. like Tom, Simon yeah. and Dan, of course, because yeah. I was their manager at Sigma Sports. Yeah. So weird. That's funny. You know, racing together and then ended up working together yeah, yeah. On, on, on what is, you know, uh, a phenomenon really yeah. within the industry. Yeah. So I learned a lot there because I know, and the thing is I started working with GCN when I was 43. Yeah. That's like, yeah, well, well it's like, blimey, you know, yeah. come out of the place to, to do that. Um, but now, yeah, I, I left, um, I was focusing on commentary. I'm still going to be doing some commentary this year. It's going right. to look a little bit different. Mm. Um, uh, I really enjoy the stuff I'm doing with Sigma Sports. Yeah. Um, it's so amazing. Talk, I mean, obviously I know the guy very well there. So yeah. What, what, so so the, 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 how did that start? How did that come about? And well, well, Ian, Ian Whittingham, who owns, owns Sigma Sports along with Jason, yeah. is a, is a very dear friend of mine. and was mm. the best man at my wedding. Oh, and really? we, when I lost when the Linda McCartney team folded in mm. 2001, mm. I was a bit lost basically and um, needed a kind of, after six weeks of not wanting to look at a bike. Of course, yeah. Um, I, I kind of got my mojo back and um, sorted out a, you know, a one rider deal with Ian. And I was, you know, I was skint basically. Mm. And he, you know, I, I, I remember we, we reached an agreement um, for the year, only a modest, modest amount of money, but it meant that I could ride my bike and yeah. have a few quid in my back pocket. Yeah. And he reached into the safe in his little shop Mm. And gave me this pile of cash, like half a year advance up front, mm. and I thought, "That's try that, That's a, and I'll never ever forget that moment. Like he sort of just trusted me, yeah. And, I th and so there's a really kind of tight bond was formed that's pretty lovely. pretty immediately. Yeah. Uh, and then we rode with the team for yeah, ten years. Yeah, yeah. Left to join GC, uh, uh, did GCN, and then when I left GCN, I had uh, a few options on the table and, and one and my first port of call because I wanted to have a, have a bike was like I'm going to go and speak to Ian see if he can give me a bike yeah. and maybe we can do some social media stuff it was literally yeah. and I'll just post it on Instagram that was yeah, all it course, was yeah, yeah. so uh, I, I approached Ian and said Ian you know um, I want to you know I've got my profile's pretty high after leaving um, after leaving GCN I'm going to be commentating and I've got a few 
few, a few projects that I'm going to do, but how about we team up and I ride your bikes? It, and yeah. it's like, yeah, okay. And at that time, their, their digital kind of team, uh, they've been working on the website, they had a little mm. photography team making little short videos, mm. reviewing stuff. They said, well, why don't you kind of get involved in, in that? Yeah. So I have, and it's kind of grown. Yeah, great. Uh, and in the space of 18 months, they've gone from like a thousand YouTube yeah. subscribers to like 36 or 37,000 yeah, now. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and videos that are being watched all over the world yeah. again. I now get stops and people always recognize me for GCN, of course, yeah. but now people are saying, oh, I love your Sigma Sport yeah. stuff yeah. And, and wherever I am in the world. Yeah, so, and, cool. and that's really good. And But it's not just me. I'm, I'm the, at the sharp end. There's a, it's a, a great company to work for, but Certainly more importantly, is. they're good people yeah. and they're really talented people yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, Jake, you and Niall um, and, and the rest of them and Dan and, and Lucy, they're, they're a great mm. bunch. Yeah. Um, but, but we're making quite brave content that, yeah. that I, I only want to make content that I'd want to watch. Not like it doesn't really conform a lot of the time because I, I like stuff to be a little bit quirky, a little bit odd. Because mm. um, that's the kind of stuff I want to watch, yeah. and I think there's a lot of very average content out there. Yeah, and it, I know it sounds a bit a bit cocky, but I don't want to no, make I, I, I don't want to make average content. So I, I think it is. I mean, I know. think we live in a world where you know social media is being used to just for the sake of it at times, mm. and. I'd rather watch or kind of invest in something that I actually want to be a part of. Otherwise, I'm just not going to bother. Um, yeah, and I think it's great. I think what you guys are doing is phenomenal. Yeah, it's 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 a pleasure. Uh, and then I work, you know, still work with for Eurosport. Yeah, um, I love doing the commentating, yeah. and I would do a lot of stuff for Zwift as well. So yeah. I do the same sort of thing that I do with uh, Sigma Sports yeah. for Zwift, yeah. and I and I also do live events as yeah. well. Yeah, I love speaking at events. I like hosting yeah. events that have got a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, do the six day hosting as well so oh, I do cool. yeah so in venue so mm. so it's going to be like this year is going to look a little bit like that with maybe some more in venue kind of stuff yeah. sort of like live stuff yeah. um, but with still a little bit of TV well still yeah. a, fair, a fair bit of TV but that might drop off a little bit yeah. and I might be doing more digital stuff so Great. we'll see yeah, so we'll see, I'm yeah. off to me- for a meeting to talk about stuff in a minute so well, uh, look, um, <laughs> as I say I know you're short on time we'll, we'll wrap it up there um, but Matt Absolutely. Thank you for coming in. No worries. Um, Sorry I waffled on a little bit. It's 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 quite a tangential. That's the way conversation goes, isn't it? You know, (laughs) I really, I appreciate and admire um, what you're doing now, but also just, you know, who you are as a person and, you know, kind of your story. And I'm glad that we're able to kind of share some of it and maybe some people could get further insight into actually kind of who you are as a person and actually, you know, what it took to get you here. And then as a fan of cycling, I'm just really happy you're still involved in the sport. I really love your insight uh, and commentary or podcasts and I hope that you have further avenues this year to expand on those. Yeah, well, if you want me back, I can waffle a bit more uh, because it's funny. I don't think we touched on everything we wanted to, but like, you know, time... uh, Time is of the essence. Well, let's, but, uh, uh, let's do another one. I'm keen definitely. to um, get Ian in here actually one day, so maybe we could oh, do yeah. one, one together, yeah. which would be quite good. Yeah, we've, we, we could riff for quite a long time yeah, about, cool. about the old days. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks, Great Matt. Stuff. Appreciate Cheers, it, John. Thank Cheers. you.